Welcome to Backroom Talk. I'm here today with Carl and we're going to be chatting about nutrition. James and I were talking about what is highest order nutrition. Where we landed was highest order of nutrition for me is different than for you. Right? All right, number one, paleo. What is um, paleo? There's some interesting results with uh, cognitive benefits of taking out carbohydrate. I-I-F-Y-M. I can never say that. To listen to more Backroom Talk, be sure to subscribe. Learn to design personalized programs with the OPEX system of coaching by heading to opexfit.com. So uh, welcome to another week of Backroom Talk. I'm here today with Carl and we're going to be chatting about nutrition and, uh, you know, looking at some different nutrition protocols, uh, things that, you know, through experience working with clients and coaches pretty regularly come up in conversation, uh, questions. But I think like we can't just like dive into like the goods and bads around different diets and, and fads and things like that, Carl. I think we have to start by looking at, you know, what do we at OPEX um, as an education company set out to define as highest order nutrition when we're talking with coaches? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I remember when we were kind of putting this into the, the, the latest iteration of CCP and James and I were talking about what is highest order nutrition um, and where does where do these protocols fall within highest order and where we landed was these protocols can actually live in someone's highest order of, of nutrition. Um, highest order of nutrition for me is different than for you, right? So it has to be personalized. And that's not just like a hedge to say like, oh, it depends. Um, you know, you can, one can be over here eating all of this crap and then someone can be over here eating all of this crap and those can both be highest order. The similarities are nutrient density is, is, is on top, right? Like nutrient density is what, what the focus is. Um, so you're not going to see someone's highest order of nutrition being Snickers and, and potato chips. Right. So we start to look at like what are nutrient dense foods. We're, we're starting to talk about whole foods, natural foods, organic foods, um, foods that are minimally processed. And I know process is such a, a fucking weird term now. It's like everything's processed. It's like, yeah, I get it. But you know what I mean when I say processed, you know, you're not grabbing a bag of chips versus eating a, a, a chicken breast that has been processed and skinned and all that stuff. So uh, processing is not there. Um, and it's focusing on what we always talk about in mental acuity, right? And that person's function. So if someone's function is to play a sport at a high level, their highest order of nutrition is going to be different than mine, right? Because that's not my, that's not my function. I'm not like living to play a sport and compete at a high level. So it has to support their function as well as just how they feel on a day-to-day -day basis. And then eventually we have to start looking at does this nutrition protocol make this person live a longer, more fulfilled, larger life? So if those boxes are checked, we would say that that's a highest order nutrition protocol. Yeah. So I think like part of part of that and something we'll come back to is like the notion of sustainability and like, is this nutrition protocol either something that could be a useful tool for a period of time or something that could be carried out through someone's lifetime and, you know, just adjusted slightly along the way? Yeah, um, I think I think the interesting thing about getting to highest order is that there's there's a step approach in getting there like you don't just come from like eating shit food to you know the next day it's like now I'm, I'm on this highest order nutrition protocol there's a lot of testing and seeing what works for you as an individual over years and years that needs to take place before you get to that highest order protocol right like you can't bucket you know good versus bad foods and just put all of those foods into highest order because 
you know, we can talk about something like eggs, right? You look at eggs, micro, macronutrient profiles, and you could be like, that's a great food. And then you give it to this person over here and they're like shitting their guts out or they feel like they feel terrible because they have some sensitivity to them. You have to experience all of that stuff uh, before you can land on your highest order nutrition protocol. Okay, so we're defining highest order not just by like the foods that someone's eating, i.e. whole foods, organically, locally sourced, all of those good nutrient-dense things, Mm -hmm. but also by the outcome it brings someone. So is it helping them achieve their personalized mental acuity, you know, daily function, and then that longevity and, and living long and prospering? Yeah, absolutely. Like my highest order nutrition protocol could probably have a little bit of gluten in there yours can't right because you have a sensitivity to it and if you have it you're going to pay the price right so um that's not saying that gluten's good or bad that's saying that gluten's bad for a subset of people and it's okay for another subset of people okay i think that gives us like a really good starting point to begin to compare and contrast some of these you know common uh nutrition protocols that have been getting you know a lot of attention and a fair amount of press recently Uh, so that's what we're going to be coming back to guys. We're not just going to be like saying, you know, this is good or bad. We are going to be, you know, talking pros and cons relative to what we just lay out there um, when it comes to highest order nutrition and OPEX's beliefs on that. Yeah. All right. Number one, paleo. What Um, is paleo? Yeah. So paleo is in its classic sense, right? It's, it's eating, it's eating those whole foods. It's eating things that, uh, were available in in our more primal years, um, so it's it's taking out, you know, stuff that wasn't available a hundred thousand years ago, right? And it's it's eating, you know, there's some groups that do say it has to be organic, it has to be this, it has to be that, but let's stick today to like, you know, we're eating nuts, we're eating seeds, we're eating meats, we're eating vegetables, we're eating a little bit of fruit, like that whole thing is paleo. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what it is. Have you ever dabbled with it? Um, versions of it, yeah. Yeah, versions of it. I've, I messed around with um, Mark Sisson's version of it. He called it primal. <laughs> I, I don't know what the hell the difference is, but I think... Marketing? Uh, yeah, I think it... No, I think I think the difference on in Mark's eyes was that he allowed very high-quality dairy. Yeah. And paleo did not allow dairy, dairy at all. Potatoes as well, right, back in um, the day? I think potatoes were out in the early days of paleo. Uh, sweet potatoes were in for some reason, and regu- uh, white potatoes were out. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Yeah, <laughs> for some reason, the white ones were out. Um, but no, so I, I did dabble with, um, you know, a more primal way of eating, and that was uh, – we talked about this on Monday. It was, it was during my, like, uh, body composition, bodybuilding aesthetic days. Um, so I just wanted to kind of mess around with that a little bit because I wanted to really push aesthetics and, um, see how lean I can get. And I wanted to do it in a healthy way, quote unquote, and we'll talk about it when we get there. But, um, there, there are definitely some cons to that. Um, but yeah, I dabbled in a version of it. Yeah. Yeah. I um, definitely did as well. Uh, <laughs> coming out like on a personal note, coming out of years as a vegetarian and wanting to understand more about you know the high quality foods and what really you know what supports healthy healthy living paleo was getting a lot of uh, attention back uh back when i made that transition and so it was for me uh a good starting point to learn about you know the kinds of meats and vegetables and uh everything that could support you know health so i've i've tried a paleo diet yeah what are uh in your opinion what are some or some pros 
to paleo based on your experiences and, and what you've done with your clients? Yeah, definitely awareness around uh, nutrient-dense foods uh, and looking at things like sourcing, which might, might not otherwise, you know, come up. Uh, thinking about, you know, getting foods that are seasonal, that come from local farmers and just eating closer to a whole foods diet would, would be the biggest benefit, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree on all those. I mean, there's there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, areas to say that's a bad that's a bad diet but going into the cons of it i do think that um the way that some people approach it because you did say you know eating seasonal seasonal and 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 varying your meats and rotating and all of that but i think when human beings start to get into this mindset of i need to truncate down the amount of foods and the kinds of foods whether that's quality whatever the case is um amount of foods that I eat, they, they eat the same things over and over and over and over again. So, you know, on the, on the outside looking in, it's like, Oh, paleo is so good. It's so nutrient dense. There's so many varieties of macros and micronutrients and all of that. But then you look at someone actually doing it and you look at their food logs for the last three months and every single meal looks the same because they feel like it's such a restrictive diet. And you start to look at micronutrient profile and you're like, you've actually gotten no vitamin D through foods in the past three months, not because paleo is a bad diet, but because of the foods that you chose to eat inside of this diet, because in your head, you're like, this is challenging. I'm going to get my 10 staple foods and I'm just going to rotate those. And that's all I'm going to eat daily because it's easy. It's easier for me. Yeah. I think it comes down to implementation, right? And that's going to be a common theme of discussion across uh, all these pieces we talk about today. But, uh, it might seem like a great idea on paper, but it can create like maybe a little bit of fear mongering or concern that these foods are bad. So I have to do everything I can to avoid them. And I know these 10 foods are safe uh, and it's easy and life is busy. So, you know, I don't have time to buy a hundred different vegetables to choose from. So people do start to get restricted in how they implement it because they're like, okay, this is safe. I can follow the rules. I know this is right. I don't want to do what's wrong. And wrong is really just this arbitrary line that may have been drawn. Yeah, and it can create a level of uh, orthorexia as well, where people start to think about um, uh, people start to think a little bit too much about food quality and being so afraid to have something that they deem to be lower quality food. So orthorexia is it's an eating disorder, right? The only difference is, is that your eating disorder is biasing these really high quality foods, and you're unable to eat anything outside of that. Um, so I experienced a version of that when I was going through that, where, you know, I would go to a restaurant and I'd ask the server like, Oh, what kind of oil do you use in this thing? And they're like, well, we use, you know, oil X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, Oh, I can't eat that. Can I just have some steamed broccoli? Um, and then can I have some butter? What kind of butter do you use? And they're like, well, it's like a 70, 30 split. It's like 70% real butter, 30%, uh, oil. And I'm like, ah, can't do that either. So I'm like, at a restaurant eating <laughs> broccoli with salt on it and that's all I'm eating, right? So that that's an eating disorder, right? Like that thing isn't going to kill me if I eat it, right? But you start to get into these, you start to build these habits of this quality food way of life and it actually starts affecting your day-to-day. -day. It affects you going out and having a good time with your friends or family, whatever the case may be. So. It is an eating disorder. Yeah, I. Uh, it's it's funny. I'm thinking now about the dairy thing and the high fat, high quality organic dairy. I remember um, being probably about like 19, fully into paleo, and my mom bought low fat yogurt, and I was like, I can't eat that, mom. 
I'm not going to eat the low fat yogurt. I only eat the high fat organic yogurt, like, or full fat. You're crazy. I can't eat that. (laughs) It's it's funny to sit back and, and look at now, but again, diets that are like only focused on quality, only focused on quantity, whatever way you go, they do create, you know, dogmatic thinking. Um, and it, you know, causes the individual who is following them to lose their ability to think critically about what is it that actually fuels my mental acuity, mm-hmm. helps me live longer, large and long, and, uh, you know, helps me uh, have great function on a daily basis. Because, again, you're just following, like, the black and white rules of what's written down. Um, one, one positive I'll go back to uh, for like a paleo or kind of like a whole 30, which would be a strict paleo mm-hmm. approach that I've seen with clients would be, and I, I saw you wrote this down, like a kind of a semi-elimination diet where people mm-hmm. can create a bit of awareness around foods that may or may not be problematic for them. So I can think of an example where I had a client go through uh, eliminating dairy, grains, uh, refined sugar and oils and caffeine for a period of time because of some digestive issues. And she took them out slowly reintroduced things like on a on a protocol and she did notice issues with caffeine in the am and then dairy throughout the day causing some like stuffiness red nose like itchy throat things like that so it can create help people create awareness around uh, things like that yeah that's a good point i think i think where people run into issues is when they feel like they can never add them back in um and you know we when we start to look at you know really restricting yourself um from a dietary aspect outside of having sensitivities or having actual um, allergic reactions from certain foods, we stop developing the enzymes to break certain foods down as well, right? So you see it, you see it very often where someone uh, eliminates something like gluten for, like very strictly eliminates gluten for three years and they've had no sensitivities to it or um, they've had no issues. And then when they try to reintroduce it, now it makes them sick because their bodies aren't able to process that. So there's there's always a level in my in my head of like being able to have some kind of resilience to those bad foods where it's like if it slips its way into a salad dressing in a in a restaurant, it doesn't take you out for two days. So I think that's another con where, you know, with paleo and sticking sticking to it, um, for no reason, essentially, right? It's like, I'm just going to do this because this book or this person told me that these are higher quality foods and I'm never going to put anything else in my body that doesn't fall within this bucket. Yeah, I um, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what about the science? Like, what does the science say around a paleo diet? Because it is fairly, like, recent, the popularity mm-hmm. around it. Have there been many studies done on benefits of a paleo diet? Yeah, there's been, there's been a few. Um, a lot of these studies are actually... They're actually looking at the differences between high quality versus low quality foods with all, th- all other things being equal. And we'll talk about this when we hit um, if it fits your macros. But um, one that I pulled was from um, Gotti et al. Uh, 2019. And it was all positive, right? It was like we have this, this subset of people that are on this very strict paleo diet. Calories are equal to this other subset of people that are not on a, a, a paleo diet. And what the, what the people saw on the paleo side was a decrease in body fat mass. They saw a decrease in systolic and diastolic blood pressure. Um, and they felt good, right? Um, the thing that we always have to be weary of is like, where did this group come from and where did this group come from? Because if this group that went into the paleo protocol 
is eliminating a bunch of just terrible foods for them. And, you know, it's, it's jacking up their metabolic rates and stuff like that. Um, and then they're adding these high quality whole foods. Um, you know, how does that affect the metabolic system? Um, and there actually wasn't a huge change or a huge shift in metabolic rates. Um, it was just essentially these things just happened and there were no answers. They're just like, we, we, we actually don't know why it happened. It just happened. Um, so when we start to look at, you know, why, what are some possible reasons and causes? It's like, was inflammation down, right? Um, you know, if, if inflammation is down, we can, we can talk about a million things down, downstream that are going to be effective in a, in, in a positive way. So, um, yeah, I mean, when we look at, when we look at the science, it does say that it could be better than a low quality diet. Um, but now we look at subsets of studies of like, is it health? Is it performance? Is it acuity? Is it so each one of those studies is going to say something a little bit different based on what they're looking at. Because if we're looking at performance in a very short period of time, the science is going to say that paleo is the same as a low quality diet. As long as you're getting volume of calories and fuel and you're getting volume of carbohydrate. And um, so, yeah, and I mean, we didn't mention that, but that's another con, right? It's uh, it's really tough to get um, uh let's call it high quality carbohydrates and, and large, large quantities. So like an athlete, for instance, that needs three or 400 grams of carbs, it's going to be hard for them to get that through sweet potato and vegetables. It's a lot of fiber. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to jack up someone's yeah. digestive system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well guys in the uh, description in the show notes, we'll link off to any studies that are referenced. So you guys can check them out and have a read if you'd like to. Um, one, one other thing just to consider uh, as we move forward in the conversation is that with all studies they're only done for a limited period of time and you get the data that is uh you know relevant to the study but you don't get to talk to every one of the individuals and talk about you know how did this nutrition affect your emotional state how did you feel about the food you were eating because obviously nutrition is not just about you know numbers there are a lot of qualitative factors that go into deciding yes or no is this a good nutrition protocol for my client yeah and it's uh you know, we need to have the opportunity to look at where these people are in the decade as well. Um, because, you know, most studies are 8, 12, 16 weeks. And then, you know, the people are out. So it's checking back in on those people a year from now. Because we all see people that go through nutrition challenges and very short-term uh, changes. And, and they see these awesome benefits and some awesome results. And then those results fade away over time because they can't adhere to it or maybe the, the the magic really wasn't there in the diet it was just because they changed something or the fitness program they just changed something and their bodies had to adapt to it um, but if we look at them a year from now or 10 years from now it's like where are they now yeah until we have lifelong studies on uh, some of these diets we're never going to be able to compare our definition of you know highest order nutrition i.e supporting someone living large and long from the age of 15 till the age of 85 mm -hmm. so you just really can't compare uh, the two directly yep absolutely should we go into keto yeah i think so we bucketed this one uh keto and carnivore um yeah let's do it where did the keto diet come from like why did it originally become uh wh why was it originally used and then why did it become popular in diet circles yeah so gosh decades ago um you know even before Atkins, so Atkins was a version of it, but even before Atkins, there were some uh, there were some interesting um, there were some interesting results with uh, cognitive benefits of taking out carbohydrate. 
um, in diseased patients, right? So when we look at, you know, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and, and uh, what we now call like ADHD, right? And, and being able to focus, there were some, uh, there were some really good correlations in taking, you know, sugars and just carbs in general out of the diet. And there were also some, uh, some indirect things like weight loss that were seen because calories were just lower because people were taking an entire macronutrient out. So I think that's where it started. I think that's where it started to become popular, popularized with the Atkins diet and, and stuff like that in the 90s is because people are like, you can lose a lot of weight on this thing. Because you're no longer eating a bunch of carb, a bunch of bread and pasta, and you're just eating meat and, and fat. And some insulin stuff too, though, right? Yeah. Like getting into the pros. Um, you know, you get a, an extremely overfat person that is extremely insulin resistant. And on a normal day-to-day, they're used to waking up and eating Lucky Charms for breakfast and eating Burger King for lunch and uh, having a pizza for dinner. It's like you take carbs away, and even if you do keep calories equal, it's like there's going to be some benefits to that because that person is so insulin resistant. And all I mean by insulin resistant is like their bodies cannot they their bodies cannot digest and comprehend having you know those quick insulin hits to their system so that needs to be removed for a period of time so they can build some sensitivity to it so there's some there's some benefits to that outside of just taking a macronutrient out is that low carb like is that just a low carb diet or would that be like truly uh keto where someone's like in ketosis yeah so i mean you could look at i mean keto is just an extreme version of low carb right so when we're when well, let's, let's qualify that. So some people, they want to go into ketosis because they want to utilize ketones as a fuel source, um, which is difficult for the human body to do, but it's doable, right? There's a lot of people that do it and they're fine and they're healthy human beings. Um, but when looking at the, the insulin side of it, we're not, we're not getting into using ketones as a fuel source. We're just talking about building some resilience to insulin. That's it. So when I look at keto and and very very low carb it's 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 the same when when we're looking at you know insulin sensitivities and and resistance any other benefits to like a keto diet or a carnivore diet um yeah carnivore i would say outside of um outside of medical pieces where it's like someone's sick and they they need to be on that diet or that protocol um, to take them out of that sickness or just so they can kind of survive in that sickness. Cool on carnivore, but from a coach's standpoint, I wouldn't touch that at all. I wouldn't touch it. Um, because when we start to look at, and I'm going to jump right into the cons, sorry. But when we look at the cons of carnivore, it's like we're literally not getting great sources of micronutrients. And it's like, yes, meat has levels of micronutrients in it, but vegetables have much more. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, um, you know, I, I just think it's dangerous. Yeah, I think it's really dangerous. And I don't think we know enough about it to prescribe that to clients, to tell clients, hey, just eat meat for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yeah. And I mean, as a rule of thumb, it's probably safe for coaches to stay within, you know, RDAs and, and what is recommended. Uh, and so carnivore diet's never going to uh, be able to fit the bill there, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what we know about protein and, and how hard it is to digest and Um, it's just a very, it's a very aggressive macronutrient, right? It's like, it's necessary, it's essential. Um, but we talk about, you know, when we get into protein deloads and we talk about the benefits of it, um, and it's not, 
you know, there's it's it's not like a magic bullet or anything like that, but it's just like, hey, it's beneficial to just give your gut a break every now and again. And we'll get into that in fasting, but um if that's all you're eating for an extended period of time, you just have to think that there's some there's some disbenefits that come along with that. And I don't have any science that says uh stay away from carnivore because of XYZ, but um logically I'm just like I'm gonna stay away from carnivore the carnivore diet. So don't put your clients on the carnivore diet uh, unless, you know, they're recommended it by a medical professional. Keto. Um, keto is an interesting one. And I guess where I, you know, have some concern and see, you know, potential misapplications is if you type keto into like your Instagram search bar, the number of recipes that come up for, you know, like a um, keto cheeseburger with a with a cheese bun and a like, you know, fat bomb brownie. The, there's a bunch of like <laughs> recipes there that don't necessarily fit into what we would define as, as highest order nutrition that aren't necessarily thinking about, you know, where did this meat come? What's the, you know, quality of this fat source? So that, that feels like a little bit concerning to me. Yeah. I think whenever we get into these, um, I don't even want to call these fad diets because they're, they have, they have application, but I think they become fad diets when we start to see them on ice cream. Um, you know, so it is concerning when you see, you know, this, this ice cream is keto friendly or this sparkling water is keto friendly. It's like, yeah, fucking, of course the sparkling water is keto friendly. There's no macronutrients in this thing. Right. So that's where I start to think like, okay, this is becoming really faddish and you start to, I personally start to get that feeling of like wanting to like poo poo these diets and like, you know, shun them. But I have to remind myself like, Hey, they do have application in, in subsets of people. So I have to respect that, but I don't think it's good when, when you have people that are pushing these things for everyone and they're like, you know, maybe keto did change your life, but, um, and that's awesome that you're telling that story, but maybe don't recommend that for everyone, you know, like blanket, like keto diet is, is awesome for every single human being. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to kind of give it, it's like fist bump. It's like, yeah, cool. Can take you out of insulin resistance or help get people out of insulin resistance. Um, we do know that there's some cognitive benefits from from uh, not having a bunch of uh, glycogen stored and, and using that as, as a primary fuel source. Um, but outside of those things, you know, um, if it is a, a medical condition and it's being used to treat a medical condition, as a coach, just stay away from it and, uh, you know, and understand how to get people in it if you're helping them, right? Like, you know, get into this ketosis state um, and that can only really be tested by blood. I know there's urine tests and stuff like that, but the, um, the, the opportunity for that being wrong is, is actually fairly high. So, um, you know, if you do have someone and they're, you know, in a, pr a keto protocol, make sure that they're actually in ketosis by, you know, blood pricks and seeing what those ketone levels are. Um, but the biggest mistake that we see is just people overfeeding protein on a keto diet because we do know that protein can be turned into uh, glucose um, with, with the absence of carbohydrate. So a lot of people don't realize that. So they'll think they're keto and they're eating, you know, 250 grams of protein and 200 grams of fat a day. And they're actually not. They have a bunch of glucose going around in their blood. Yeah, and if you're eating a low-carb or a keto diet for mental acuity and then you sit down and you eat a 12-ounce steak, I don't know about you, Carl, but I don't feel like super sharp or energetic after that. 
If I chew it, I feel fine. Okay. That's a <laughs> lot of chewing, man. <laughs> I mean, that's something to think about. It Seriously, though, if someone is eating uh, eating a lot of meat, they're following a carnivore diet, that's uh, a lot of chewing that has to happen for proper digestion, and that needs to be considered. Like, if someone only has 15 minutes to eat lunch, that's going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, you start to look at, like, the the digestive things that come along with, you know, essentially removing fiber from your diet. Um it's not good. That's not good, right? It's not good unless you're doing it for a very particular reason. It's not good for humans to not have fiber. Yeah, and if someone is sensitive to insulin as well, then th- is there a reason to take out carbs? Um, no, I mean, unless they see that, you know, unless they see a benefit of, you know, from a cognitive standpoint where it's like, I just feel really good when I remove carbohydrate for a, an extended period of time. Yeah, I think that's I think that's okay. Like I cycle a little bit as well. Like today, for instance, I don't eat carbs today. Um, Wednesday, low carb yeah, day. Yeah, Wednesdays I don't eat carbs, and I don't do it for body composition. Um, I mostly do it because I eat a higher carb diet percentage wise throughout the week, and I just like to have one day where I'm just like, okay, I want to get some really high quality fats in, um, and it's 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 more enjoyable to have like the the differences in in, in certain days where it's like. Today, I'm going to eat some primal mayo. <laughs> Today, I'm going to eat, you know, a really big salad for lunch with uh, some oil in it. Um, for breakfast, I'm going to have cheese and eggs. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just I like it because it's different. So I do it more for pleasure. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I'm getting it's an opportunity to get some really good high quality fats in as well. So, you know, if someone's like like that, I think that's OK. Obviously, I'm biased because I'm doing it. Um but if, if, if someone has a reason to, to go low carb, it's like, yeah, all power to them, do it. Like, I don't think they're going to die because they're not, well, they're definitely not going to die because they don't have carbohydrate. What about performance reasons? Uh, and I guess it might be nice to bucket it, like, into potentially someone who's trying to perform in an endurance sport mm-hmm. versus a maybe a CrossFitter or someone who is, uh, you know, training with high intensity. Yeah. And I mean, in reality, there are benefits to going low carb, even uh, for a cross CrossFitter in like an off season mode, because it's really good to have the ability to utilize fat stores as fuel. Right. So, you know, CrossFitter going into the open in two weeks. Yeah. Don't go no carb. That makes no sense. You're preparing for like very high intensity fitness. But, you know, if you're out of this thing in June and you're like starting like, you know, your uh, a.m fasted cardio and stuff like that it's like do you need a bunch of carbs to support that type of training not really right because you're not going high intensity all year or you shouldn't be going high intensity training all year in the off season so there are some benefits for even crossfitters going low carb um uh when we get closer to that competitive season it's like you, you need it you need it right like you just need it to to win um and then on the endurance side um yeah, I mean, there there have been outlier endurance athletes that have really pushed, you know, low, low carb slash keto and utilizing keto uh, ketones for fuel in in uh, in a competitive environment. But the reality is, is if you have one individual that is, let's just call it metabolically flexible, where they can use utilize fats and carbs as a fuel source very efficiently, and they're racing next to this uh, uh, keto racer and they're, they're doing this and they hit this like really big hill and they're, they're cycling, they're on a bike. This one can go from, you know, flat surface, utilizing those fats as fuel. As soon as he hits that very steep hill, 
like he's starting to use that glyco those glycogen stores as fuel and this one's just not going to perform as well right so that's one very specific scenario but i would say that there are benefits to being metabolically flexible um, and being able to you know tactically utilize different types of fuel sources right so if, if that race was a 20-hour race maybe the you know the racer that feels really good um, with glycogen stores filled and that's how they train and that's what they're used to they have like a you know some 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 uh, sugar goo right like an hour 30 minutes before they hit that really big hill and they're probably going to beat this person that's trying to fuel off of just ketones so i'm not saying that it cannot be done uh, but i'm just saying if we're looking at what do you need to do to win all things being equal you need to have glycogen like you need to be able to utilize glycogen as a fuel source no matter what sport you're in because there are we we all we all know this right like we're using all fuel sources and we're using all energy systems when we do everything. So for fuel sources to be more readily available, I think is just a really good thing. Um, so if that's a sick person and they can't have carbohydrate and they have to go keto, more power to them. But if we're talking about just performance and winning at things. It's like, why, why would you not have carbohydrate? It just makes no sense to me. Yeah, and I think that is a really clear example of why when looking at the validity of a diet like keto and thinking about is this something that's right for my client you have to look at who that client is and it has to be personalized if it's going to fit that highest order uh, approach to nutrition and and performance wise it's like what what have they trained on you know what i mean like there's no there's no silver bullet on competition day like you're not going to have this racing goo uh you know 30 minutes into a race and like just crush right because your body's gonna be like oh what the hell is that i'm not used to this being into my gut in my gut while i'm like pushing blood to the periphery and your body's gonna go crazy but if your body's like oh i know what this is i know how to utilize this we did this two weeks ago we've been doing this for the last six months in training your body's then going to use that really efficiently and effectively so good note uh anything else you'd like to add there on keto before we hit macros um no okay no I-I-F-Y-M. So, I can never uh, say that. Like I know. I feel I like... F <laughs> what is it? I I-I-F-Y-M. Oh, right? I-I. If it I fits your macros. Oh, got it, got I it. I feel like it should be like ifium. Like if you could say it like that, it ifium. would be a lot easier. Ifium. But I, I just change it to like eat whatever the hell you want. Eat whatever the fuck you want. So I'd change it to something yeah. better. Well, that's that, that it kind of is a bit of a free-for-all, right? You can eat whatever the fuck you want <laughs> so long as you hit your carb protein and fat goals if you're you know just looking at this macros thing and thinking like that's the only thing that matters yeah and again with every one of these you know diet protocols we talk about it comes down to how are you applying it and is it you know relevant to you and your goals yep. but if someone uh you know has 200 grams of carbs 150 grams of protein and 60 grams of fat and that is their macro prescription they could look at that and if they didn't have any education on you know food quality and uh looking at things like uh you know is this organically sourced uh, is it local is it seasonal blah 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 all the stuff we go on about they could be making up the 200 150 60 whatever numbers i said yeah, yeah. with like twinkies and cheerios and whatever they wanted to eat yeah yeah i mean you want to start with the pros yeah let's go pros okay yeah let's start let's start positive yeah um there's some there's there's a lot of people that see great weight loss benefits from this thing, right? Like over fat people that are losing fat based on, you know, looking at what am I eating 
calorically and how much energy am I am I actually taking in? So that's a positive. It's it 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 allows people to look at what their diet profiles are, right? Like I don't think that oh, man, I'm gonna say this and then people are gonna correct me, but I don't think that there's I don't think that most people are eating Twinkies and Coca Cola and saying that fit my macros. Um, I would hope not. I, I hope people are looking at their profiles and you know my fitness pal and they're like okay this is my this is my energy consumption and i'm looking at i'm looking at like this food log like there should there has to be something in our heads if we're doing that that say i shouldn't eat twinkies you know what i mean because now we're really focusing and and looking at what we're eating um so there's an awareness that's being created so i hope that with that awareness people are also thinking okay where is the source coming from um because a lot of the, a lot of the time, you know, I think what most people assume is like people are going out and eating like KFC, right? But it's like if you're tracking your macros, KFC is probably not going to fit in your macros, right? It's like you're going to eat like the chicken meal thing, and you know you're gonna you're gonna hit a hundred grams of carbs or a hundred grams of fat in that meal. So it's like that's probably not going to work for you. Uh, maybe I'm giving people too much credit, but I hope that people aren't just doing that, right? Like that would that would make no sense. Yeah, I, I think, think that was more popular. Sorry, George. I think that was more popular like five, ten years ago where people were like fucking free for all. And then you have people like Lane Norton that come out and he's like, hey, don't be a, don't be a fucking like don't be an asshole when you do this thing. Right. So um, not saying that everything that that Lane says is like, per sorry, if you disagree with him, but I'm just saying like he has some really good points where he's like, hey, I'm just looking at. I'm looking at the science. That's it, right? So he's really good at just putting that like scientist hat on and just uh, kind of ignoring common sense at some point, um, which is it's beneficial to have that voice in the in in this fitness nutrition world because those are the type of people that kind of make you think and you're like, okay, he has a point here. Even if you don't agree with him there, it's like he has a point here. Um, so yeah, I think there are some pros to it. Yeah, I mean, you would hope if people are taking the time and making the effort to weigh and measure their food like that's not a small commitment yeah. right there that they are interested in fueling themselves in the most healthy way possible unless unless they're weighing and measuring because they feel like it's going to bring them more pleasure because, because, because like, 10 years ago i think we had that point where people are like i'm eating shitty food and i feel bad about eating this shitty food but they're like oh this if it fits your macro if it fits your macros thing came out and it's like I can still eat shitty food, not feel bad as long as I hit like these numbers. Um, so there's, I think that those people do exist, but I just don't think, gosh, I don't know. Maybe it's because we live in a bit of a bubble, but I don't think that there's that many of them out there that are just like crushing Twinkies and Coca-Cola. My Instagram feed, oh, that explore feed, which has all the keto recipes would disagree. Oh, with really? You. There's a lot of like <laughs> junk food you can fit into your macros posts really? that, uh, that are out there on social. But I will uh, Google search that. Can you Instagram search things? No, you'd like search by hashtag, right? Yeah. Oh, I guess I, I could just could go. Just, yeah, I could just search like uh, IFYM. Yeah. See what comes up. I, I your F-Y-M. your algorithm's gonna be screwed up though. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Maybe I'll create a dummy account. <laughs> so positive for those for those things. <laughs> we did say we were gonna hit positives first, and yeah. you said it. Like people have good weight loss benefits, and I think that comes down to just recognizing what they're eating, right? Like for the first time, they have an idea of quantity. You know, this is how many overall calories I'm getting in over the day. Uh, You know, this food here, it has a lot of fat and fat actually has a lot of calories in it relative to, you know, carbs or protein. So 
I'm going to moderate how much I'm eating of this one thing. It gives people the opportunity to have a look into protein intake. And uh, obviously, you know, getting enough protein is important for so many reasons for clients. And I see at least like that being one of the things people are under eating the most when they come to me initially and I see food logs. I'm like, you're a 200 pound man and you're eating 30 grams of protein in a day. (laughs) Like we got to change that. And, uh, you know, taking an IIFYM approach and uh, tracking macros does give people the opportunity to see that in themselves and then adjust that, uh, you know, as, as needed. Yeah. That's positive. What else is positive? Um, I think that's it. Yeah, quantity. Yeah, it's, only, yeah, it's the only thing that comes to mind. Quantity and awareness. Uh, negatives, I mean, we already hit on food quality. Like if you abuse it and you think it's, you know, the gospel and you don't think critically about the foods you're eating, you only think about the quantity, then... Yeah you're probably going to have some negative health benefits that, or have some negative health uh, outcomes that come from that. Yep. What other negatives are there? Um, I think people just thinking about energy in and energy out. So calories in, calories out, um, which is true, right? It's like we have to look at that. That's, that's, that's there. That's, that's been in the literature for forever. Um, but what people don't usually have an understanding of is – what what is in that calories out or energy out equation and what affects that so i think people look at exercise as like the normal one right it's like okay there's exercise there's uh neat and there's bmr there's all of those things right but what we don't think about inside of that bmr is that there's a lot of shit that sits inside of our basal metabolic rate right so hormonal levels and function that affects what our true resting metabolic rates are and if we ignore food quality and micronutrient profiles, that can then affect our, our hormonal profiles, which can then affect our basal metabolic rate, which then lowers our energy out, right? So it is energy in versus energy out, but we have to think about what all falls into that energy out equation. That shit is really complex. Like we can't just wear an Apple watch and say, yeah, burn 700 calories a day and I walked 30 minutes and I just, you know, burn based on my basal meta- metabolic rate, you know, now that means that I can eat 3,200 calories and still be in a caloric deficit. It's like not so fast, right? You got to really think about what's in that equation. Yeah, it's not like just a set it and forget it uh, thing with macros, right? You have to make an estimated guess based on BMR, TEF, EEE, uh, and NEAT, but you have to adjust that. Like it's not just one number that's going to stay static. Uh, if you do prescribe your clients macros, you need to give them their numbers. They need to track for a couple of weeks. You need to see what happens. Uh, is the scale, is their energy, uh, is everything, you know, you're looking to change moving in the right direction or not? Yep. And if it's not, then you need to change something. Uh, the calories in piece is tough too, right? Because foods, food labels are wildly off from what's actually in food. Uh, people, if they're eyeballing versus like actually taking out a scale and measuring their food, we are terrible at actually knowing, you know, how much we're eating. So you do have to be like as, you know, precise as possible if you're trying to get a clear number. And if you're not, then, uh, and even if you are, I should say, uh, again, food labels are, are always off. Uh, for most people, I think it's all a waste of time. I think, you know, really looking at calories in with a fine tooth comb and calories out is all a waste of time because it's so fucking dynamic, right? It's like, you know, so many things affect calories out and what our energy expenditure actually is on a daily basis that it's like, 
if we try to nail that down to the calorie, we're going to fail 99.999% of the time. So when people base their beings around those equations, it's just like, that's why my in my head, I'm just like, that's such low order thinking. And that's such, those are such low order nutrition prescriptions. I think they're okay for an amount of time, i.e. I need to drop this weight for this thing that I have. Uh, you know, I'm getting on stage, blah, blah, blah. It's like, cool, but you have to understand that you're not going to do this when you're 90, right? Are you, right? Like you have to ask people those questions. It's like, am I going to do to, am I going to do what I'm doing today when I'm 90 years old? And if someone says, oh, no, absolutely not. It's like, so when is that shift going to occur? Is it when you're 45? Is it when you're 50? Is it when you're sick? Like, when is that going to occur? Or is it going to occur now, right? So just starting to think about, you know, what am I going to do in the future? is really beneficial to, to kind of challenge your clients on because everyone's living for today and people aren't even living for tomorrow anymore, right? So um, when we start to challenge those things and we're like, you know, what is this turning into? Now you can start having a real conversation around like low order versus highest order because highest order is something that is going to take us to the grave, right? Um, so I think we need to think about those things. Yeah. And if a coach is setting up a client with a macro profile to follow for a period of time to help create some awareness or some compliance around our food quantity, uh, great, but it's probably a good idea to go in with the expectation that we're not doing this for the rest of our life, that we're going to use this for this three month period. Uh, and that after this, I want you to, you know, have the ability to eyeball what's going on your plate and know um, obviously based on satiety after eating and energy throughout the day as well, that you're you know somewhere in the ballpark of what you need to eat to fuel your acuity, your function and living large and long. So like you said, it can be a tool for a period of time, but it should probably be set up like that too. Otherwise, you know, clients fall in the trap of they're weighing and they're measuring their food and they feel like they have to do it forever. Because it's like, if I'm not measuring out 45 grams of oatmeal, uh, then how, do, how am I going to know if I'm eating the right amount of oatmeal or not? Rather, setting them up to think, I'm doing this for a period of time to start to develop some awareness over, you know, what this looks like visually and uh, then be able to move on for that. And then the stress from weighing and measuring can do what? It can decrease your BMR. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> it comes full so circle. So just like, <laughs> just like, I'm so fucking stressed, so I'm going to track my food. But since I'm tracking my food, I'm getting fat because it's making me, so, you know what I mean? So it's like, where does it end? Yeah. Right. Where does it end? So I think it's all it's all finding what's sustainable for people and, and leaning into that, because as you mentioned, as a coach, you know, and I know some of you have had clients for years and years and years and you guys are always on macros and you're always on top of that. But at some point it's going to end like you might get tired of it as a coach. and You're just like, Fuck, I'm just tired of doing this for this client. Like I've had you for 10 years and I'm still telling you to eat 85 grams of protein. It's like that shit gets really old. And then on the client side, they're just like, I've been working with this guy for five years. Why is he still telling me to eat? You know what I'm saying? So it's just weird, right? When you think about it logically, it's just it's a weird it's a weird relationship. It's a weird relationship with a coach, food, the client. Like it's all it's all just so strange. So I think to your point, it's like you have to set expectations of like, I don't actually want to do this forever. Do you? <laughs> Right. And, and agree on that. And uh, and if they do want to do it forever and you don't as a coach, you know, educate them. And if they're not on board, maybe maybe they're not a good client for you. Yeah. I mean, one more potential con I, I'll reflect on like mistakes I've made and I've also seen in clients is 
variety. Like, and it comes back to what we said initially with paleo, where you have these bounds that you're working within. I have 250 grams of carbs. I have 130 grams of protein and I have 70 grams of fat. And I figure out how I'm going to hit those numbers by, you know, doing my great food prep on a Sunday night. And then I just want to eat the same thing over and over again for days and weeks on end because I figured out the numbers. I did the work. I don't have time to, you know, think about 20 different recipes that are going to hit my perfect macro numbers. So I end up eating the same thing over and over again. And then you end up with like a very, you know, uh, flat, (laughs) not uh, diverse micronutrient profile. You end up, you know, missing vitamin D for months on end because, uh, because you weren't eating the foods that include that. So that would just be something I'd look for in your clients, guys. If they are giving you, you know, a food log and you're giving them a macro prescription, are they eating the same thing over and over again? I remember having a, a chat with a client who was having a morning smoothie and for like nine months on end had the same thing in that smoothie every day, you know, same salad for lunch, the same kind of meat and veggies for dinner. And he was like scared to go from having blueberries in his smoothie to adding a different fruit because he's like, but there's more carbs in that. I'm going to have to change something else throughout the day. And we had like a really real conversation around like, you know, basically everything we laid out just here around IIFYM. And again, this is a tool for a period of time. Uh, The numbers that you're seeing, they're not accurate. Uh, What you're burning calories in calories out is always diverse and changing and dynamic. So just, just remember that and let's start to, you know, eat just a little bit more intuitively. Yeah, next level, we're going to be walking around with panoes on our faces, and it's going to be telling us what our exact resting metabolic rate is, and we adjust that, and we're dynamic on a day-to-day basis, and we just fucking nail it. And then our Apple Watches are connected to our Coach RXs, and it's telling us exact. oh, man, connected to exercise, and yeah, that's that's... George is like, are you, are you being serious right now? Is this <laughs> no, what you really want? It, you're making me think of, uh, was it Homo Deus, the Yuval Harari yeah, book? He's yeah, like yeah. talking about like how everything's going to be integrated. We're not going to think for ourselves <laughs> anymore. Like that's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there'll, there'll be that opportunity. Fuck, there already is that opportunity, right? Um, I'm sure there's people that are like looking at their whoops and auras and they're like manipulating their food profiles on a day-to-day basis based on you know how many calories they burned yesterday or within this seven day period and they're just fucking nailing it good for you guys good for you should we uh should we hit fasting yeah let's the last hit, one? yeah let's hit fasting as the last one um pros pros uh less calories i mean less calories. seriously if you're yeah, eating yeah. if you're eating in a smaller window uh chances are you're going to end up eating le- less food which i think is one of the reasons why people often see weight loss benefits from fasting um, so that'd be pro number one. Yeah. I think uh, another pro is there's some people that look at eating as a chore, right? Um, you know, and if, if you are one of those people that look at eating as a chore, it's like maybe you think about fasting a little bit so you can, you know, have really good food hygiene habits in the two meals that you do have if you're taking away that third. Um, you know, there's also, again, what we talked about with uh, keto, like maybe people feel sharp when they don't eat in the morning. You know, energy's really high. They feel sharp. It's, um, it's it's increasing the the level of whatever their function is. And you know, I think you can have a fasting protocol inside of a highest order nutrition protocol, right? If it's supporting your function and you're you're checking all those boxes, I think that um, I think that it could be a, a really good tool for someone to use. Yeah, I, I can think of a client who regularly jumps on uh, like five a.m., six a.m. meetings uh, with people around the world, and for him, like eating 
breakfast, it would be in front of a computer, uh, you know, really mindlessly shoving down a sandwich while he's, uh, you know, between Zoom calls. And for him, that's a really bad environment to eat in. And he was experiencing some like pretty bad digestive stuff because of that. So we have him, you know, eating on a restricted window starting in the afternoon and the evening when workload is a little bit lighter, when he can, you know, eat in a more mindful state. And so because of that, it can work really well with some people's schedules. Yep. And uh, yeah, you said less calories on the on the onset, right? If someone does need to, like if someone just can't handle themselves and they're eating like 4,000 calories a day, if they shorten that window, uh, they're probably going to consume less calories and whether that is you know for health benefits for aesthetic benefits whatever that is um, that could be a positive thing yeah and if someone is uh you know they're in a caloric deficit and satiety is an issue as well right like they they're dieting down for a show or they have some reason they're trying to lose some body fat eating in a restricted window can allow them to eat some slightly larger meals feel more satiated in those periods and just just feel a little bit better throughout the day Um, hormonal benefits yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, when we start to look at like, um, you know, testosterone, IGF-1, pieces like that, in some people, um, fasting actually increases that, those things. In others, it actually decreases those things, right? So we have to look at, we have to look at that in a very personalized way, where it's like, how are you feeling during that fast? How do you feel after that first feeding, right? It's like, how is energy throughout the day? Um, and if we're seeing this all over the place, um, that's not like pulling someone's blood and having numbers in front of you, but that's a sign, right? It's like something's probably going on, you know, something's probably going on if they can't hold this fast or if they feel this way coming out of this fast or they're eating a certain way, like they can't just like be mindful, sit down and like chew their food, but they're getting a thousand calories in and sub five minutes. It's like, that's, that's a, that's a very substantial event for your digestive system to go through. So um, yeah, there can be some benefits and, uh, there's, there could be some drawbacks. Are there differences like males, males versus females, men versus women on the hormonal side with yeah. fasting? Yeah, there always is. Yeah. Um, in a lot of things, women are more resilient, um, except when it comes to fasting, <laughs> um, just because women have a lot more hormonal considerations than men, right? There's a lot more going on inside of a woman's body than a man. So the things that we just talked about, you just have to be mindful of, right? Like, um, you know, I know a couple, I know a couple women, um, in particular that have just thrived on fasting in that shortened window and they feel great and their cycles are on point and their blood work is awesome. And then on the same token, I know some women that have tried fasting protocols and everything else was good. Like food hygiene was good. Quality of their food was good. Um, they didn't, they weren't like stressed out about it. They just couldn't do it. They weren't like, they weren't going through these massive insulin spikes through it and stuff like that and they just didn't respond well to it yeah it seems like one of those uh, situations where it would be great to have a uh, you know medical provider someone that you can refer out to for blood work and get their advice on uh, if you are you know working on fasting protocols with clients or just do it and ask yourself how do i feel right because i don't think fasting is something i don't think fasting is as detrimental um to the human body as well, I know it's not as like a carnivore diet, right? Because, you know, human beings have fasted forever, right? It's like we haven't always had this, uh, you know, big plate of food in front of us. And I'm not only talking about like, you know, thousands of years ago, I'm talking about in certain economic environments where people actually don't have food. Um, And, you know, 
obviously when you start to push that situation way to the right, it's like, yeah, that's, that's a really dangerous thing when we're talking about human beings not eating for days on end. But I mean, just like, you know, going through a 16 hour fast, for instance, it's like every single person should be able to do that and understand, do I feel good doing that or not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> some people uh, have the ability to self-reflect better than others, right? Yeah, no, no, definitely. Yeah. But I, I'm, I just mean being able to function, right? It's like, if, if you're like, I can't function, it's like, you need to ask yourself why, right? Like, what, what are you doing? Um, because we should all be able to function on a 12 or 16 hour fast because we're sleeping for ha- more than half that time. <laughs> this is true. So yeah, just my thoughts. I hope you're sleeping for more than half that time. Got to get those uh, That's true. seven to nine hours, guys. That's true. Uh, any negatives to fasting? Um, yeah, I think it's uh, <laughs> all the positives. We can spin those around too, right? It's like a, it's a lower window to get uh, really high-quality nutrients in. So if you have someone like the guy that you mentioned that's eating 30 grams of protein, if you now tell him that he has this window that he hit that he has to hit 100, it's like, is he going to hit that 100? Absolutely not, right? So it is a, it's just a, it's a lower, it's a lower opportunity to get to a number that is prescribed to your client. That's yeah. it. And then you see people, you know, they have this amount of food that they're trying to hit in that, you know, eight hour window and they end up having like two massive meals uh, and just feeling like destroyed digestively after each one because they're trying to fit 1200 calories in on a plate of high quality foods, lots of vegetables, lean protein, good fat sources. Uh, so it can be hard if you're just having like two big bolus meals. Yeah, but it can be done. I've worked with people through Ramadan for the last 10 plus years, cons- like every single year. And it's funny because for some of those people, we come out of Ramadan and we're like, they're just like, I feel better. I'm actually stronger. I, but, but like we, you know, we deloaded essentially like the amount of volume that's in the program they have these windows to eat so we have to like change training times around so just just the fact that we're like taking things down a little bit and they're okay with taking things down because they have to because they can't eat or drink water throughout the day they actually come out of that feeling really good really refreshed and and super robust and healthy um so there there are definitely benefits even if we're only having two like large because for some of these people we're still doing 2500 calories a day and like two meals so it's like that's challenging, but it can be done in the right scenario with the right person. How are you making sure they're eating those meals? Like, are they jamming it down in front of a computer or are they sitting down, eating mindfully, chewing their food, yeah, taking all their time? Hygiene, yeah, hygiene is always number one. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, one, uh, one thing I want to hit there is like considerations around exercise and fasting. So if you do have people training, how do you, uh, how do you navigate that? Yeah, you just, uh, yeah, you think about, what's inside of the training that's that's the most important part it's like what what are they doing for training because if they're just doing really easy aerobic work and and they're doing some resistance training um they're very little considerations just like you should be able to do that fasted you should be able to do that with a gut full of food um i would just look more around um sleep time right and you know what is does does your training fitting your training in in this time is it going to affect the quality of your sleep and keeping those intensive exercise pieces out completely or if they have to have some semi-intensive stuff keeping that you know when the sun is at its highest okay well guys uh anything you want to add on fasting before we wrap up no that's it i think that was good cool i i hope that like this conversation did illuminate you know the fact that 
OPEX is an anti-any diet, right? We don't have a, a hard stance against any of them. It all just comes down to application on the person that you're applying to them and considering, you know, I have this client in front of me. This is, you know, how they feel throughout the day. This is what they need to be able to do for their function throughout the day. And we want them to live large and long according to what their definition of that is. Is this nutrition protocol uh, a helpful tool to get them to that point? Or is it not? Yep. That's it, right? That's it.